You know, I don't know. Truly, I think, and this is rich coming from an American that's even in Europe, but I find it annoying, the attitude of, you know, like the U.S. VCs or U.S. tech sort of like Columbusing Europe, like they discovered it and because it Mm -hmm. happened to, you know, arrive on the U.S. tech radar screen, um, that's therefore the beginning of European tech. Welcome to Associated, a podcast making venture capital more accessible. My name is Francesca and I'm one of three co-hosts here at Associated. And I'm delighted today to be releasing an episode where I interviewed the brilliant Brianne Burke from Keen, who at the time was a principal, but I'm so, so delighted to announce that she is now a partner. Huge congratulations, Brianne. So well deserved. Before letting the podcast flow, I just want to highlight the fact that this interview was recorded earlier this year in Q2. So some of the context or relevance might be down to the macroeconomic climate at that time. However, we still think the content is highly relevant and we would still very much like to share a full episode with you as we feel like there's so much value to be had here. So without further ado, here we go. Okay, so, Brienne, would you mind introducing yourself, please? Sure. Uh, my name is Brienne. I'm a principal at Keen Venture Partners. I'm American, based in Amsterdam now. And I made my way from New York City around three years ago, uh, so just in time for the pandemic. Made my way up through in New York doing investment banking, and then actually early stage at a women's health company, and then spent some time at later stage growth equity. So that's where I learned I loved VC and was looking around for something with, you know, flexibility to invest in everything from accounting software to, you know, business admin SaaS to to like exciting consumer solutions. And that's how I found the guys at Keen. Really liked them. So sold my couch and now I live in Amsterdam. That's a fantastic story. And I'm so delighted for you. But it's really fantastic to get someone's perspective who's lived in the US and then also the EU in Amsterdam. So, so excited to get your perspective on both those markets and how they're converging in a way. But before we maybe dive into that, let's get to know Keen a little bit more. So could you please describe your fund and and what do you focus on specifically? Yeah, so Keen is based in Amsterdam. We're a Series A, Series B focused fund which means increasingly little. In reality, we're investing $150 million in awesome scale-ups all across Europe. So we've all been on the operating side in sort of one way or the other, which means that we're really open to investing in a bunch of different industries. So we've got investments in the Netherlands, like Molly and Crisp, in Germany, in Plan A and Klima, in the UK, in Farewell and Doctify. So we're pretty broad in where we'll look. The two things that we sort of use as a guide are, you know, one, trying to be radically human as the way we put it. So it sounds very markety, but given that we've all been in the shoes of these uh, founders before and on the receiving end of lots of helpful VCs, we really value the relationship with them and building that trust really early on. So offering help before we offer money. And then on the flip side, uh, trying to be thesis driven. So be honest about what areas of tech do we find compelling? What's the edge there? What's the win formula? And then are we the right people to help? So dive in. And that's led us to a bunch of the companies that we spend time with. 
Great. That sounds like a super interesting company to work for and also leaves plenty of room to explore multiple different areas, which must be super fun. So how long have you been at Keen now? I've been at Keen for almost three years. Amazing. So you've had front row seats in the European ecosystem after these three years or so. How would you say it's evolved? Yeah, I think there must be a better word for this, but I think it's an emergence of like, you know, tech mafias in a big way. You know, even in Amsterdam alone, companies like Agen have now spun off so many really interesting, cool startups and scale-ups. And you're seeing more and more founders that have had these awesome success stories and even really early employees starting to angel invest, starting little angel networks. They're investing in funds like ours, luckily. And so there's more capital than ever, but I think one really cool source is from these mature scale-ups that you know, are now sort of reinvesting in the ecosystem. That for me has been the biggest. Yeah, I think that's it's such a good point. I mean, everyone's heard of the PayPal mafia, right? But actually they're coming up in Europe and really supporting and driving the ecosystem, which I think is just so fantastic. And has anything surprised you specifically? And, and great to get your perspective here on having come from the US VC vibe, which actually I would love to hear a little bit more about and how that might differ from... Amsterdam's and and the EU's VC vibe and yeah anything that that surprised you in regards to that yeah I think you know I think this was three five years ago but the US there's sort of different not classes but definitely different types of VC you know Silicon Valley VC is a very different game from East Coast VC and even when I was in New York City, you started to see this emergence of non-coastal capital, which was really exciting. So you started to see more and more investors spending time in the Valley and you would do that, but it was hard to compete from the outside. So places like New York and Chicago, Boston got way more exciting. And then people realized like, wow, there's you know exciting opportunities to invest and to start up more local funds in places like Columbus, Ohio, or in Miami, or in Austin, Texas. So I think that was sort of going on right when I was leaving New York City. And it was kind of funny to come here and discover, I think, a little bit of the same thing happening in just the last three years in Europe. You know, like London obviously still has, I think, the most funding. Don't quote me on that. But like the highest number of startups, most funded companies. But certainly over the you know last few years, you're starting to see more and more ecosystems sort of popping up, getting stronger, more funding going to Germany, to the Netherlands, to France, to the Nordics. So sort of watching that sort of similar spread happen has been really nice. That's so interesting. So just before you were leaving, there was like this spread of capital happening across the US where it was not just the coasts. And then three years later now, we're seeing almost like that spread coming into Europe, which is so interesting. And why do you think that is? Yeah, wow. I mean, total guesses. But I think part of it is that people realized on the VC side that you can literally try and you know kill each other competing for the same five companies in a you know what is ultimately globally like a pretty small city. Or you can look for really amazing founders and entrepreneurs in other places. And at the same time, I think 
you know, like good luck hiring an engineer in Silicon Valley. They get poached so quickly. And places like in the U.S., Salt Lake City have amazing tech talent. The salaries are still pretty good. The cost of living is way lower. And people realized, you know, tech is this big, exciting industry and I don't have to compromise. Why do I have to pay thousands of dollars to live in a tiny apartment and spend half my time commuting when I could live by the mountains in Utah? Or, you know, the same thing happening here. Like, there's great university systems all throughout Europe. Why don't I go hire emerging grads from there or live somewhere beautiful and run a successful company? So maybe it's that, but either way, I'm excited because it does shake things up a little bit. And why do you think U.S. funds are coming more and more now? Like in the last six months, there's been a huge number of announcements of we, we're opening up an office typically in London or Berlin. So interesting to hear actually whether there's any in Amsterdam yet, but not yeah. yet, no. <laughs> I'm sure. Yeah. And and why do you think now's the time? Like, do you think it's like a 2.0 of what you were seeing three years ago in the US? You know, I don't know. Truly, I think, and this is rich coming from an American that's even in Europe, but I find it annoying, the attitude of, you know, like the U.S. VCs or U.S. tech sort of like Columbusing Europe, like they discovered it and because it happened to, you know, arrive on the U.S. tech radar screen, um, that's therefore the beginning of European tech. I think it's always been a really exciting scene. There's so much to love about growing and scaling a business in Europe. I think as a founder, you develop so many skills you aren't required to sort of develop when you're starting a company in the U.S. But no, I mean, I think the ecosystem has always been great. I think for me, the biggest change isn't that like U.S. funds are interested in Europe. I think it's the commitment. So I think what we were seeing, you know, five years ago was that it was much more usual for people to be you know, on a plane to your a couple times a month or, you know, going over to visit. And now we're seeing people setting up offices and more boots on the ground here versus just going back and forth. And and maybe just pushing you a little bit here, like why do you think the commitment is happening now? Maybe. Yeah, I think there's been some really great European tech exits over the last yeah. few years. I think prices in general are a little lower. I think you're on lately better and you know VC yeah it's it's a numbers game right it's about making money and there's great opportunity in Europe yeah got it so yeah welcome to the party but don't mistake the invitation for like creating the scene over here please love it exactly I think that's a really good point and actually it's kind of leads quite nicely on to my next one which is um, you know, the, the classic U.S. fund popping on the plane twice a month normally meant that they get sort of the creme de la creme of growth deals. So, you know, you maybe do your Series A with some tier, tier one European funds and then, you know, your BC, you might start having conversations with the U.S. funds to... You know, get the big money basically for those those big rounds up into IPO. How do you think it's evolved uh, in terms of the US coming into certain stages, sectors? Like, do you see it more generally? When when US, do you feel like 
they're coming in lower. And like, that's the difference that we're really seeing alongside the commitment of, of boots to the ground that they're just in the series A, B deals that you're looking at right now, rather than, oh, I'll knock on their door once we've secured this great Molly round and there'd be a great next partner for, for follow-ons. Like, great get to get your perspective on that. Yeah, God, a lot to unpack there in a good way. I think, yeah, I mean, so for one, I don't think that it's a bad thing that European funds are coming. I don't think it's a bad thing that U.S. funds are coming to Europe at all. I think more competition, sure, it's more competition. You find other ways to differentiate, et cetera. But there are amazing companies here and amazing founders that haven't always gotten backed. And now hopefully that means that that will start happening. I do think that there's also a huge difference. Maybe the gap is closing a little. But one thing that actually really surprised me when I moved is that European A and B is a way different stage than US A and B. So a U.S. Series A company is like a European Series B company. So I came over thinking I was looking at, you know, U.S. A, B and really realized, oh, God, this is like a seed stage company. This is wildly different. So I think that's one shift. I think, look, the people that can write the biggest checks in the world for the majority are still not located in Europe. So I think when it comes to later stage growth funding, that's a pretty natural fit. I think where we're not seeing a ton of activity from U.S. funds is at the like super hyper local, like pre-seed, uh, seed accelerator stage. And that's starting to change literally in the last few weeks as some firms are announcing they're going to do accelerators here. So yeah, I think the focus has been more at that like seed A, B stage. Because um, it's easier to be based in London, fly around a little and see something that's, you know, is it's easier to identify talent that way without having to be rooted in one market looking for the best people with the best ideas, which is just a higher volume game of sifting, if that makes sense. It does. It, it totally does. And it'd be great to get your thoughts on how you think U.S. funds behave differently. Like you mentioned there on kind of potentially perceptions are different, but do you feel like you've had to change your behavior to, so, so to speak, just a bit more into like the European style of investing than, than perhaps maybe in your time in New York? No, I mean, I think, no. So style-wise of like approaching entrepreneurs, I think it's, it's similar-ish, right? Like, I mean, you can look at funds, name, the check size, the valuation, but ultimately it's a person that you're investing in and a person who's writing the check. And I think getting to know each other is really what it's all about. It's who am I going to, who's going to be on the other end of the phone when I pick it up and I have terrible news or I have great news. So I think that approach is sort of the same. Of course, there's obviously a difference between, you know, being the American who does not speak German very well and going to Berlin and starting to do deals. And that sort of nuance just doesn't exist when you're looking at, you know, being based in New York and doing a deal in Boston or something. I think for me, the, the biggest way that I've seen U.S. companies change the way that they do business is that like there's a little bit of a difference in mindset and there's maybe like a separation of the funds that are actually coming to Europe and spending significant time here. So it used to be, you know, like, so it's not a mistake that the funds that are coming over and putting down roots in Europe and really committing time are, you know, the top, top. I think years ago, you see a little bit more of the mindset of, you know, from the U.S., 
Europe is an opportunity to go and invest in a company and then bring it back to the US and that that was a marker of success. And I think what we've started to see change over the past couple of years is that that's not necessarily the case for everybody. I think there are some maybe older school companies that still feel that way. You know, like I want to do a European deal that maybe even already has traction in the US and help it scale in the US. I think there's a middle ground that maybe is still the plane flying back and forth uh, group if we're labeling here, which would be, you know, Europe is an opportunity, but only to bring it back to the US. But you don't need that, you know, traction already will help you make the leap. And for me, the gross generalization of the funds that are really significantly investing time, money, people, and resources here is that they view European success and scaling as a success in its own right. You don't need to tie it to going back across the Atlantic the other way in order for it to be a success. So, you know, I think that for me is the difference between you know, U.S. funds maybe doing business differently over here. It's a little more of the like, how do you actually define success? I love that. And and I think I, I agree with you. And how do you think American funds are perceived in Europe at the moment? Like, do you, what, what have you noticed? I mean, a few, few people might have mentioned like, it commands a premium on, on the next round as a consequence of having a US fund. Like, does Keen like encourage founders to talk to US funds? Like, what is, do you think your perception is of, of them in the market and maybe how, how Keen perceives them as well? Well, I think for me or for Keen to be like anti-UN's funds would be a little hypocritical coming from me. Overall, no, I mean, we certainly don't discourage it. We also don't encourage it. I think our ethos when it comes to scaling is a little bit like figure out what's right for you. So, you know, soul search, be honest, like if you're trying to scale in the U.S., then absolutely a U.S. fund probably makes a ton of sense. However, if you're facing operational challenges with, you know, scaling cross border or cross currency or local hiring things or you know pick pick your problems be honest about your problems and then be honest with who's the best fit to help me fix that maybe it's a blend of the two but i think we encourage our companies to sort of think about it that way and then back solve for who's the right fit i do think though that us investors get a premium frankly for no real good reason other than their American. For what it's worth, I think the same thing used to happen and probably still does happen in the U.S. with Valley investors. You know, being a Silicon Valley investor in the U.S. was perceived as very different and much more like premium than being a VC in the rest of the U.S. I think for no reason other than label alone. So I don't think that that's true, but I think, I don't think it needs to be true, but I think it does happen. And and do you think founders perceive U.S. funds differently to EU funds. Yeah, I think in terms of the perception of you know giving a premium for no reason, I think everybody's a little guilty of it, uh, founders included. You know, if you know going to the U.S. is a marker of success for you, then it's going to look super shiny and uh, super nice, and there is something a little you know sexy and exciting about you know somebody flying all the way across the ocean or maybe a country and then an ocean. To come spend time with you. So yeah, I'm sure it does. Yeah, I think you're right. And you've probably had front seats to this in a way. Like, what challenges do you think new entrants face? Like, as an American coming into 
a, a Dutch firm and then moving, selling your couch, as you said before. How, how did you feel personally? And then maybe how do you think current U.S. funds think? Like the challenges they're going to they're gonna be facing. And do you think there, there's some similarities there? Yeah. Um, I mean, I still feel super self-conscious about not speaking 900 languages. Um, so I can imagine that some of my American friends might feel the same. No, but on a serious note, I think... You know, even when we were, I was in New York and looking at deals in Europe, there's this huge element of, you know, you don't know what you don't know. So there's this like natural skepticism that creeps in. And that was a little bit of like how I felt about European tech from the U.S. And then it took a little to shake that when they actually arrived, that, you know, idea of, well, why didn't a local fund do this deal? Why am I seeing this deal? You know, if you're not there you're not boots on the ground. You don't have the local network. Is there a bad reason that this is in my inbox now? Uh, I think the attitude has evolved and you're sort of seeing people circumvent that by going from let's be the local fund now coming to Europe. But it definitely did take me a little to adjust to. And it takes a little to get your bearings. You know, the French tech scene is very different from, you know, the Dutch tech scene is very different from you know, the German tech scene. So it does take a little bit to get your feet under you in terms of, you know, okay, like maybe in one market, the right way to get an introduction is through the founder themselves. Maybe it's through an accelerator, maybe it's through a VC and that changes. So you do need to sort of keep your, like, I don't know, your eyes open all the time as you start to adjust for how do I go from not state to state where everybody speaks English and the laws are generally the same and stuff like that to, you know, country to country, which is a little bit more of a shock to the system. Mm, no, I, I can imagine, but I can imagine there's also some similarities there, right? That now in the U.S., you mentioned there that the premium Silicon Valley funds, like maybe the, the U.S. funds perceive that as like in each country there's like the creme de la creme of funds that sit there like how are we gonna make sure that we get into those same deals that those funds have established like for example yeah. Amsterdam like Kina's got a really good overview of that market because it's their local market they've got all the networks there like how do you approach that and then back to the uh, comment you were making earlier about well the nice thing about tech right is that it's dispersed and we all have our laptops now. So it actually opens up opportunities a lot more. And you've, if you've got an enticing proposition, then I think founders have the power now and the option to not just say, okay, well, I'm based in Amsterdam, so I have to speak to Keen X, Y, Z, because that's what's available in my home market. And that's probably going to increase my chances of, of you know, getting a good investment for the next round because they can contact me to their contacts. It's like, well, I can just pick up the phone to, to whoever I want. And oh, just, you know, I think it, it makes the dynamics really, really interesting. But I wanted to jump onto the, the fact that you mentioned a little earlier about talent and how you think that, you know, good luck trying to hire uh, an engineer in Silicon Valley. I think that's that's a very valid point. But some of the articles we've been reading recently is talking about the talent 
shortage in in European VC. So not necessarily on the founder side, but on the VC side of like very hard for US funds to hire the right people to to head up their feet on the ground. So just because, you know, still at the end of the day, I think there is something to be said for network or within a location. So I'd love to get your thoughts on on that. Like obviously Keen poached you from the US. How do you think US is going to poach Europeans from, you know, probably pretty comfortable posts on like well reputable European funds? Yeah, I mean, I think you're right. If US VCs are coming to Europe and you know looking for VC talent and they're using that same sort of absolute marker for success of, okay, I want somebody who's, you know, done 20 big exits, then it's hard. Europe is just a younger ecosystem. So in that numbers game, there aren't as many, you know, heavy hitter, big outcome investors as there are in the U.S. just purely because we need a little more time to get there. I also think it's a gross generalization, but I think there's fewer sort of like Twitter personality VCs within the EU. So yeah, maybe that, you know, adds up to a little bit of it. I also think something you said earlier about, you know, the U.S. funds sort of coming over. And I think one of the things that makes it a little difficult to get your bearings is that with exception of a few, there's not necessarily that many brands that have built their brand successfully or are known as a brand for, you know, just being very pan-European players. So they do tend to be known by, oh, they're great at XYZ or they're wonderful in this market or they're great for this type of deal. And I think generally speaking, that's a little less true in the US. So I think also perhaps if you're looking for then, you know, somebody out of Amsterdam or Berlin or Zurich that has had European-wide success, which is I'm sure the lens that US firms are looking at Europe with, those people are few and far between. That said... I think that if somebody that said, I think that those people that have been wildly successful in you know their current markets in their current firms have been wildly successful for a reason. So I think you know maybe changing this definition of what talented looks like is good because the people that you're bringing in or the person you're looking for in your mind might not actually be as good at spotting this young European talent as the people that are already out there in the market. No, I think that's that's a great point. And they're going to have to make do with the situation. So it'll be interesting to, to see how that evolves and what decisions these talented people within BC decide whether to stay with you know, the fun that they're in with good carry, with you know, a long-standing reputation of being there or actually take a punt on these U.S. funds coming in, wanting to put some boots on the ground and offering a more potentially tempting packages in order to entice top talent from European VC funds. Yes, I think you're right. And I think they're going to have to come up with, I don't know, a package that sort of works beyond feeling like you're a satellite arm of a U.S. company because... That, I mean, to me personally, wouldn't be so appealing. You know, losing your autonomy, feeling like you're reporting back to somebody that's nine hours away. Not as exciting as, you know, being able to run free within Europe or have it be Europe for Europe. Mm. Yeah, no, it's a great point. And I think it's going to be so interesting to see whether if more and more U.S. funds come and there's just more and more attractive packaging packages, whether 
there's going to be an inflation of salary and actually it's going to result in more people wanting to join what is already quite a competitive position within the market. I think in the the next few years to see how, how that, that pans out and what like the poaching landscape is going to look like, because there's always quite a thing around that because of the classic structure of how a VC fund works. So stay tuned for that. I think it's going to be very interesting. I suppose what I'd like to to cover a little bit is, is that you mentioned earlier that US funds are coming into your space, so to speak. So Keen's Series A, Series B space. How has your fund reacted to the market changes of basically you you know, having a have a good time and then suddenly, literally, as you said, the last few weeks, just, you know, oh, you're speaking to a US fund now? Like, what? what? So have, have you reacted to, to this new dynamic of US funds coming at an earlier stage? Frankly, no. In part because it's a little difficult to separate out, like, the arrival of US funds here versus just the general... Know, surge in the amount of capital that's available to be invested in Europe. And so, you know, yes, I suppose we could try and single out just the U.S. firms, but point blank, there are just more people with more money, some of it traditional, institutional, some of it corporate, and increasingly a lot of it sort of like angel networks or, you know, really successful former founders that are able to back these companies with fewer strings. So I think in general, there's increased competition, but I find it really hard to target it just at the U.S. So I think, you know, like everybody, our sort of like lens that we've looked at things from, you know, COVID times to now whatever the public market is doing and the effect that that will have on uh, the private market is there's some stuff that's maybe anti-cyclical and will continue to do well, even though, you know, the markets might be crazy for the next few years. But the biggest, biggest thing for us has just been we continue to try to get to know founders earlier and earlier and build that relationship and, you know, get on the train to go three hours away from Amsterdam because we happen to be in town and we're really, you know, you know, if they have 30 minutes, let's let's meet. So I think we're going out of our way to get to know the person a little bit more. But that's also just a little bit of our style when it comes to like how does Keen compete? I think it's tempting to do it with you know, money or term sheets or valuations. And I'm not saying we're always above that, but what we'd love to be able to do is really prioritize like the relationship with the founder and have us pick them and vice versa. So that's where our attention's gone. Got it. And I suppose every fund has to have their own USP on how they're going to bring bring value to a founder, which I think it is essential to compete in this game. Like money isn't good enough these days. You've got to add more and more. Maybe a bit of a, a challenging question, but I think it's an interesting one nonetheless around like legal structures, providing a sort of tax substitutes for LPs that kind of might draw in from the other side. So not founders taking your money, but rather LPs investing in in keen over, you know, anything else that that is on offer in the market these days, not necessarily just the US. Like, is that also something that Keen considers of like making it as appealing as possible for LPs to to sort of invest in Keen over over like 
other other funds that are in the market right now. I see. Like, have we changed sort of the terms of our LPAs in order to try and attract investors? Correct. To my knowledge, we have not. I think the biggest change that we had from the first to the second fund was the surprise that was Brexit. Uh, so needing to create a bigger, like, non-EU basket uh, mm-hmm. so that we can continue to look at things from London. But short of that, we've been really lucky to have just, like, a strong continuation of our existing LPs. So, yeah, for the most part, we haven't sort of changed the, it's like, LPA structure in order to entice people. Great. Cool. And final question. Would you say that there are benefits to founders with this new source of capital that's rushing into Europe right now? Oh, God, yeah. I, I hope. I mean, I really hope that these founders just feel like they have more and more and more options. It's certainly more competition in the market. Maybe valuations go up, et cetera. Who knows? Um, but I think one super bright spot of this for me would be if everybody has to up their game a little bit on terms for founders. I think lingering in the corners of you know cities around Europe and even in the U.S. are some pretty old school, like there's no nicer way to put it, like pretty nasty terms that people are still getting away with because to date there haven't been you know, great alternatives out there. So I would hope that it makes everybody up their game a little bit and definitively weeds out firms that have been getting away with onerous terms for way too long. So maybe that's too too much wishful thinking, but I hope that like more attention in the market, more companies, more funds, more term sheets means better terms for founders that let them like go about doing their job instead of you know looking over their shoulder the whole time. And could you give an example of of onerous terms? Oh yes. Participations, ratchets, weird lever clauses, dividends, stuff that sounds debt-like, but that equity check writers have been getting away with. Yeah, it's generally speaking, but there's just not a great way to defend a full ratchet anti-dilution as anything but you know, downside protection. There's not a great way to defend like a participating preferred as anything but having your cake and eating it too. Downside protection plus a lovely slice of the upside. And unfortunately, the person that gets squashed in all these scenarios are the founders and the employees, and they're the ones building the companies and they're the ones that make it successful. So I really hope that stuff like that goes away. I hope that people renegotiating on price for anything but a really, really solid reason, dragging their feet on diligence for weeks and weeks. Yeah, it's, you know, it's tempting to say, oh, but firms build reputations. And that is true. But the cycles are long in BC and it takes a little bit of time for that to catch up to people. So I'm hopeful that increased attention here speeds that up a little. Yeah, that it will pull everyone up to better standards, which I think is already positive. Yes, I hope but, so. Yeah, I think, I hope so too. But what do you think the risks might be? Flipping it on the other side. Ah, yeah. I think, God, there's a bunch, right? I think if we look at like the super, there's a bunch of different ways to look at, you know, like the U.S. entrance coming to Europe, right? And if we're looking at if scaling in Europe is such a wildly different game than scaling in the U.S., with exception for things like 
you know, healthcare or, you know, taxes. Uh, most U.S. states are pretty similar. So you can set up in the middle of the country and sort of very quickly go everywhere all at once. From Europe, you cannot do that, or I suppose you can, but that's a very different outcome. So from day one, you have to like in mind be built to scale for multi-currency, multi-language, lots of different GDPR rules, different ways of doing things. And I think one potential risk, frankly, is that maybe you get the U.S. scaling mindset of like, oh, there's nuanced difference between the Northeast and the Southwest, but end of the day, a U.S. consumer is a U.S. consumer and maybe not really fully getting the, the difficulty that is, you know, even, you know, scaling within the DAC region, which all speaks German. So I think maybe that's one risk. Another would be, and this is like so not my term, but I love it, the capital foie gras of, you know, big, big, big checks that look super appealing, valuations that look awesome. I think a lot of the funds that have been coming over have the ability to rate those gigantic checks and I guess it's fun to celebrate it in the moment, but it has really awful consequences if you can't sort of take that money and run with it to a really successful outcome because who's, who can really fund you after that? You sort of need to sell or go public. And it, I think, funds people right to the edge of a cliff and then I hope you don't fall off it. I think that's another potential risk, but that's a little more to do with maybe check size than you know, US versus Europe. Yep, no. I think both amazing points. Thank you. I really, I don't think that the US-EU funding thing should be like an us versus them, like no pun intended. I think there's great things that happen, not only for founders, which is what we talked about, but there's a lot of best practices, you know, outside of even things like terms that funds can teach each other. So I think one thing that we're super open to is, you know, obviously like working with other funds outside of the Netherlands, across Europe, in the US, what's normal in one spot might not be normal in the other and vice versa. So I think we're excited and open to that kind of thing, you know, and it's very probable that what's best for a lot of the companies that are getting funded here is that maybe they need some local networked help with, you know, customer introductions or hiring and also with scaling to the US. So a combination of the two might actually be the most lethal. So let's go. And that's it, folks. Thank you so much for listening. And as always, please do share this episode far and wide to those you think might enjoy it. And please do contact us if you have any feedback on Twitter at associated underscore pod or via email at associatedpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks again so much for listening. And we really do hope you enjoyed this episode as much as we did recording it. Until next time, bye.